Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. So much happening as normal, and I'm here with my friend today and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here, back, back in the US. Back week. in the US after your holiday in India. How did that go for you? That went very well, except that the week that I was in India, a lot happened in the banking system, which made me think, was it me? Uh, or was it my travel that I left the US and everything, the hell broke loose? Uh, I'll, I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> well, Bitcoin Maximus will ask you to leave again very shortly, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> true so you know i thought this week maybe we would talk around um what's happened with the release of the economic report you and i were talking earlier on today about the economic report of the president um which was published on on monday it's an annual report that comes out but this report's interesting in the fact that nearly an entire chapter was dedicated to digital assets and that's a big chapter considering the capitalization of digital assets so they must be considering this as important. And now keeping with the Gandhi view of the whole thing, you might remember we said that Gandhi was famously quoted as saying, at first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they attack you, and then you win. Right. I think we're yeah. in the attacking phase at the moment because the commentators are saying the report is a damning indictment on the space, that it makes their policy position crystal clear. The report says, amongst other things, it has been argued that the crypto assets may provide other benefits, such as improved payment systems, increasing financial inclusion, and creating mechanisms for the distribution of intellectual property and financial value that bypasses intermediaries that extract value from the provider and the recipient. These arguments, however, it shows a more complicated picture. So far, crypto assets have brought none of these benefits, the report says. Do you think that's a fair statement, Nitin? Well, I don't know what's fair anymore. I don't think so. For me, I've always seen that the much of the messaging that you're getting from the apparatus, the governing apparatus, which is the regulators yes. and the it's more towards a narrative as opposed to a well-researched uh, thinking. Uh, I find this very little thought leadership than a constant attack on the industry, you know, per se. And so I think the the scathing report that you see, which to me is telling both, uh, we've seen this from Treasury Secretary, we've seen this from SEC, CFTC, the entire alphabet soup of College of Regulators is a constant attack without providing clarity and guidance. And that's something which industry has been asking for for years. And I think this political discourse that we see, at least in the US, which I think is timing the innovation, and I'm sure you, you all have read this this week alone, in fact, today, Coinbase, one of the largest US crypto exchanges is considering opening a non-US trading platform 
with institutional clients. And this is again to sort of figure out as to what can they do to escape uh, the constant uh, focus from the regulators. Uh, Circle opened a headquarters in France. And I don't know, Derek, I, I, I see this as a beginning of brain drain, beginning of movement of innovation that's much needed. Um, and you begin to see the flight of prominent U.S. Um, sort of crypto institutions moving out of the U.S., right? And so I think, uh, and the bank failures last week while I was traveling to India is an indication that none of the bank failures were really a result of crypto. So, and and in case of Signature Bank, as the New York Community Bank Corp takes over the failed Signature Bank, uh, which was seized by the FDIC for many reasons, and there's still investigation needs to happen. Um, they were a moratorium for them to actually, uh, they were, you know, they were prevented from uh, taking over the crypto business of the banks. So there seems to be a system systemic attack on the industry, and I just don't understand that I have not seen a single sort of narrative, with the exception of few of the politicians in terms of taking a much more methodical scientific approach in understanding the industry, understanding the innovation, applying the innovation in a meaningful way, being constructive about it, providing guidance, uh, in absence of which I think um, none of this really makes sense to me. So, so it's interesting too, Nitin, because firstly, the report criticizes um, crypto assets, cryptocurrency, securities, utility tokens, the whole utilization of the process without any due consideration to anything that's happening outside America. <laughs> Fancy that being the case, eh? Um, and secondly, <laughs> the report then turns around and says, um, then turns around and says, look, um, with the forthcoming systems, like, you know, real-time payment with FedNow Network, um, you could bring significant benefits to vulnerable segments of the population. And in this case, circulating digital money like FedNow, um, which should be launched, um, you know, and may minimize the sort of the, the, the costs associated with normal banking um, and therefore may minimize the need for anything to do with digital assets or CBDC. So to me, that sounds like they've said, right, so there's digital assets. All of that is not endorsed by us. Um, we don't can't guarantee any of that. However, we'll do our own digital assets over here and you'll like those. They do fast payments, et cetera. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, one in many cases is de decentralized and the other one is just a digital front end to an old existing system. Oh. So they're clearly not trying to um, bring forth that technology. Where's it going to go? Because if America doesn't adopt it, it'll go somewhere else. Where do you think that's going to be? Yeah, so I, I do want to discern between the Fed now, which actually is eight years late, by the way, and US is one of the few countries in the world which claims to have an advanced financial system, but we don't have an advanced payment system. Uh, I do want to discern between payment infrastructure, Derek. Uh, so Fed yes. now is a payment system, like most countries in the world have RTP or real-time payment networks and payment systems. That includes in Australia, where you live, is you have NPP, uh, you know, and, and every country has some form of RTP, which facilitates domestic real-time payment that no longer you have to wait the next day to have money in your account. You have it instantly, which again, does two things. It reduces risk, but it also sort of makes money available 
to be utilized immediately and unlocks the capital, you know, the the cost of capital that's that's involved in 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 moving the money a day late. So all that is great, and we are like eight years behind. But payment system simply mm-hmm. increase the velocity and makes payment easier. Let's focus a little bit on banking system per se. Mm. And I think if you look at the failures of last week, is for two reasons. One is just you know you would have heard the terms of duration risk or interest rate risks, which is again many of these banks made a call, made a bet on certain types of securities. In this case, happens to be quite safe securities, which is government bonds and T bills. Yes. Uh, except the duration of which was on long term, yes. and they were trying to address short term obligations, and that that mismatched caused a lot of challenges. And a lot of this was also due to the fact that the Feds at the time were fighting inflation, and one way to fight inflation is to go from the demand side and and increase the cost of money or cost of borrowing, which reduces the demand of 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 goods and 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 the entire micro you know macroeconomic factors that take into effect when you constrained the supply of money. So in you know in some cases that led to interest rates being you know rising interest rate that leads to depreciation of these sort of assets that banks had that led yes. to the failures of these banks uh, because yes. you know in in tight economy everybody needs liquidity and they went after liquidation of assets and bank didn't have the right calculus to be able to meet that need and and so Ooh. there are other areas that I like to discuss at some point but this was essentially a challenge of banking, not so much as payments. Whereas if you look at the phenomenon of mm. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general, they are solving the issue of financial infrastructure primarily, that they are not only payment systems and they are truly global payment systems. They are truly what Fed now is a domestic real-time payment system. Bitcoin is a global real-time payment system. Mm. And many of the competing you know, cryptocurrencies who are sort of filling in the payment gaps of the world, creating a truly global system, but they're also infrastructures. They facilitate your banking options. Ethereum, for instance, is a global network that facilitates various investment opportunities at a truly global scales. And on this show, we've compared them to nation state status. We've talked about uh, these global infrastructures that anybody from anywhere in the world can create financial instruments or financial products, and you have the avenue to, to. So I think for the narrative that we have seen in the economic report of Fed now and CBDC as the answer, uh, I think it's myopic and I don't think it's well thought out. And this is where I actually challenge, uh, you know, the the uh, the administration and the apparatus to spend some more time in thinking about uh, not only the investment opportunity that, or the next generation investment opportunity and the growth that can be derived from the industry, but mm. also the uh, the impact of technology uh, is akin to what internet has done for us in the last uh, four decades. That is missing. That narrative is missing. And we keep going back to payments, but not realizing that the entire genesis of the devaluation of, of currencies, that includes the US dollar today, which is what FEDS is com- combating, is, 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 uh, is still a centralized mechanism and this is a global phenomenon this is every everywhere in the in the world there's this constant battle between uh the ability for countries to keep printing the money way out of you know out of the system but yet assuming more debt and that cycle is vicious and it's quite pernicious in terms of its ability to maintain that balance that every time you have this problem someone steps in and you print more money to solve the problem and over time yes that creates an interesting uh, challenge in terms of the valuation of the 
payment instrument itself. So it doesn't really matter how fast your network is. If the assets in the network are, are not, are, are losing value, uh, then what good is it? And, and also, I'm glad you said that because this is just payment gateways you're talking about there and payment systems, right? Whereas the banking systems an awful lot more than payment gateways and pay, payment systems. You know, as you know, I did, I discussed this a few times. I did a margin loan a year ago on some, um, some equities and it took a month, went faultlessly well, had three wet signatures and, and had documents couriered at $80 a throw from New York to Australia to get it done. I did the same um, kind of margin loan lending against some Ethereum, I think it was. No, it was a Bitcoin at the time. I just wanted to see what it would be like to do a loan. And I, I put some Bitcoin in, got US dollar um, tether in, in return yeah. and did the transaction. 60 seconds it took. I slid the scale to what percentage I wanted it to lock up and for how long, and I pushed play. And 60 seconds later, I received confirmation that I had US dollar tether sitting in the in the um, Fantastic. you know in my wallet right now that that's yeah. and and then you know I, I I ran that for about three months put it back now but the point is that that is digital assets that's DeFi in full play and the banks can't do that and they're not mentioning that they're yeah. not mentioning algorithm driven exchanges they're not mentioning um, you know this opportunity where essentially you're seeing crowdfunding opportunity occur for financing and the reason they're not mentioning it is because it's direct competition to bank, I would assume. But that is a big part of this digital solution, not just cryptocurrencies, but crypto yeah. utility tokens and crypto um, assets and, and this opportunity to decentralize, but also democratize. And I'm not doing that for some philosophical point of view, but literally allow everyone in the world to own small sections of assets all around the world the centralized banking system of America can't do that and doesn't do that. And true. I can't and see projecting to do that. True. And it's besides the UI aspect, as you mentioned, Derek, I'm looking at system, the financial system in general, right? So if you look at what happened this week, right? One of the important indicators of recession risk is what they call as a yield curve inversion, um, you know, for government bonds. And it didn't, that's generally government bonds is what governments uh, do as a lending instrument uh, to to be yes. able to raise money and everything else. It's it's a rare scenario, but it's triggered by aggressive central bank rate hikes, which is what we've seen the last year or so, in which the bonds with long term maturities pay lower return than those falling due in short term period. Generally, it's supposed to be be you know be reverse, which is exactly what happened. And so you look at that, and then you look at uh, in this entire last week fiasco and and you know to me a true trillion happens to be a magic number which was two stimulus that we had during COVID times in the united states which increased a massive supply of 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 of, of money in the system this is the implementation of monetary policy this is an ability for the government to control how much money the base money which is the m0 as they call it is in the system yeah. uh, and recently fed introduced the bank term funding program which allows the banks to issue loan against their bond holdings, which is saying that, hey, this whole notion of duration risk to say, this will mature in a year, I we'll give you a loan. So you let, you let, uh, we let you mature. So you're not, now these are artificially induced. Yes. Uh, fighting against the conventional elements of the system that is designed. So we talk about collusion in, 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 in crypto industry, where you don't want a few parties to be able to, 
change the system. And this systemic change happened within a week that no longer those old conventions of you having a certain uh, instrument held till maturity to say, hey, I can now borrow against it. And you know, Uncle Sam will, or Uncle you know, Liquid Sam will take care of that stuff in, in, in terms of uh, providing. But that essentially introduces $2 trillion worth of, of, of currency in this, the base currency in the system. So all the effort that they've gone through in terms of this rate hikes and which leads to inflation, inflation eats into asset valuation. And this cycle of then saying that while inflation eats into asset valuation, the collateral that is derived from that asset valuation suddenly becomes a problem leading to liquidation. It's a cycle. And I just don't know how to get out of this until you make some hard choices, which is certainly not the case in the crypto industry because all the lending and borrowing, as you may have seen in the example that you cited, Derek, uh, it's generally over collateralized. It's generally instant. We don't have a duration risk because there's no long-term locking of asset and there are trigger points uh, because of over-collateralization and maybe because of a blessing in disguise of volatility of crypto yes. that you have triggered to say, hey, if crypto drops a certain value, then there are consequences. So the risks that we take in collateralizing an asset uh, has consequences to say, if the risk, if the value drops below a certain point, then it triggers liquidation and there is no way around it. And yes. that leads to responsible behavior as opposed to some of the irresponsible behavior that we have seen with exactly these banks that have failed. I don't think they have a crypto problem. I think banks have a banking problem. They don't have the right risk models in place, uh, which to me is telling. And I think that the system should be evaluated by the regulators and the economic sort of reports to understand what's wrong with our existing system before you criticize the crypto industry per se, I think. Very valid. It's interesting, although different structures, um, both banks and the Federal Reserve, um, you know, issue money. They create money. You know, the yeah. banking ratio, I understand, is something like one one to ten. So, you know, they've got to have a certain percentage of, of assets there. But they, you go in and ask for a loan, they literally create money for you. And so the result of that is a house that cost $20,000 in the 1970s cost $2 million now. Sure. Yeah. And the result of that is that families that used to be able to take three weeks holiday, take their kids overseas or take their kids to locate, can't afford to do that any longer because they're paying the mortgage rates of these highly inflated houses, which are there because the banks are creating money to lend them to you. This is a structural system that is in play. At the same time, you've got the banks doing that. You've got the Federal Reserve, same in, the, in Australia. You've got the Reserve Bank that's issuing money um, and making money more. So it's inflating the, 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 the currency. So what you're getting is you're getting a currency worth less and less money every year, and you're getting banks producing more and more money every year, which means you're getting real assets artificially rising on a constant basis. And you're getting these inflationary outcomes, which are causing hardship for everyone um, that's working in the space. Yeah, Crazy. and, and to your point, Crazy, to your you point right, that uh, the moment you increase the base, base is the, the core supply that only central banks can introduce, the M0s only, and then you have the credit, which is 10x. Uh, to your point, exactly that, that you have, so you have something called Basel, which is basically banking supervision around how much liquidity the banks need to have for every, every dollar they lend out. So even though, you have one to 10 ratio for every $1 that bank has in deposit, they can they can lend up to 10X, but the moment you lend 10X, you have to have liquidity up to 
uh, 30% of what you lend. So these Ooh. are the, all the ratios. But what surprises me in this case is, yes, the, the regulators and the governing, the governing bodies have taken a stance to say we will not have taxpayers bail them out. We allow this do this at the expense of shareholders and the and 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 the management of the of the banks, but we did have a stress test in two thousand eight. We did have a stress test that looked or is supposed to look into the banking resiliency uh, to be able to absorb these shocks. And in the bigger scheme of things, uh, if you look at SVB two hundred billion dollars, if you look at Signature Bank hundred billion dollars, these are big numbers. Uh, we don't, yes. I think. Lately, 100 billion has not been a lot of money, but it is a lot of money. But in bigger scheme of thing, in the eight plus trillion dollar sort of base money that's out there, it's not uh, a significant amount. It's a fraction of a percentage point of the entire banking system. And if that small percentage point can bring the system uh, to where it is today, uh, I do question. Uh, and I don't know if you recall, the Bitcoin blockchain was born out of the chaos of 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis, where there is a timestamp that says Chancellor of the Bank of Second Bailout of Banks yep. that actually happened during the time. So In the Genesis block. I do question that why isn't the economic report talking about our existing financial system, which is caused a much more immediate harm of creating further concentration risk in mo in moving the capital into too big to fail financial institutions the last week. Why aren't we focusing on that and fixing that instead of going on an offensive on crypto, which is still a, a drop uh, or minuscule of the overall economic value. Uh, I think it's about a little over a trillion dollars. And what we've seen in, in, in as a result of this, Derek, is the crypto market has been on the upside they finally have exhibited some resilience. And this time, the entire industry is for all the right reasons. That suddenly now, Balaji, as you know, one of the thought leaders, the ex-CTO of Coinbase and, and quite prominent figure in the industry has a bet uh, that he's given 90 days for the Bitcoin to reach a certain value, I think of million dollars. A million dollars. A million dollars. And, and, and all that because of result of expected debasement or hyperinflationary element of US dollar. I think 90 days is too short um, mm. a time frame, but to me, I think it'll still be a great experiment to see the behavior of people trying to bite into that, uh, the soundbite and subscribe to that thinking to say, hey, uh, we got to think about this, except that Bitcoin doesn't have the market depth. It still doesn't have the digital penetration that a typical fiat does in terms of ease of use, utility and everything else. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think to me, it's just an interesting time economically, but uh, all those are drivers of why Bitcoin is sort of suddenly above 28,000, almost after six to eight months of the 69,000 high that we had last year. It's, it's interesting that crypt, uh, the, the Bitcoin particularly, so this market at the moment, of course, is a Bitcoin driven market, right? Yeah. So Ethereum has risen a reasonable amount. The remainder altcoins, not a great deal. Um, so it's getting powered by, by Bitcoin at the moment. Bitcoin seems to come into itself when there's a crisis on. Yeah. And there's a crisis on at the moment in the banking industry. And Bitcoin's gone up 38% since its, its um, previous low there um, yeah. in, in only the matter of weeks. It hasn't gone up because inflation looks one way or, or, or liquidity looks another way. It's gone up because there's a crisis. And a small percentage, tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the population has turned around and said, 
I want to put my money into Bitcoin because I think there's a banking crisis in the moment. I think Bitcoin will be strong and will continue to grow in value. Tiny percentage of the populace have done that and it's pushed it up 38% um, in that period of time. So it's interesting to see that Bitcoin isn't necessarily a reflector of just liquidity or a macroeconomics. It really comes to its own when it comes to people's concern around stability of the financial market and they step towards Bitcoin. No one's regulating them to do that. That's the nature of how people are thinking towards it. Yeah. And we should spend some time at some point, Derek, on Ethereum as security. That's a new thing that's popped up. I've been saying this for quite some time since the merge. But remember, we used to have this conversation of Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. We, we, for the longest time, yes. we had Bitcoin and gold and we compared gold as inflation hedge and Bitcoin as the next inflation hedge. And that narrative over time, and I wrote about this too, personally to say, hey, it's a risk on asset now. Mm. And over time, it's become highly correlated to, 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 to risk on asset like securities and equity. I think that that conversation is backed. We were just discussing this, the financial crisis that we have seen last week from banking perspective is tied to interest rate risks and, and other central bank maneuvering that's been happening. Ooh. And half of which is in response to inflation. At the end of the day, the mandate from central bank, at least in, from Fed's perspective, is to curtail and do, to curb inflation. That's led to all these challenges that we've seen. And so the Bitcoin price signal is a response to that. And I think this conversation of Bitcoin hedge against inflation is back. I think we're back on yeah. to that whole element, which to me, I think we 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 ought to, at least for the audiences, uh, and I'll get this right this time, uh, that uh, the fortune favors the informed narrative that we have in this uh, in this year's, uh, you know, our podcast. We've got to double click on that and provide a forward-looking narrative of what yes. we expect to see in, in days to come, Derek, I think. Let's do that. You know, it was interesting to see that Bitcoin's correlation to the um, tech equity markets in January was sitting at about 0 0.71, 0 0.78, um, sorry, in, in November, December, 0 0.71, 0 0.78. In January, it was a 0.29. And now the correlation is a negative correlation to um, the equities market um, in this particular month. So there's been a lot of this discussion around Bitcoin is just correlated to the equities market, particularly tech and NASDAQ. Um, and what we're seeing is that correlation again breaking down because Bitcoin is reacting more to the crisis that's happening um, in the banking industry than it is to equities and, 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 and the immediate um, quantum easing that's going to occur. So let's look at this next week and have a bit of a chat about exactly how we see that going forward. I'm not a believer that there's going to be a million dollars in less than 90 days, but <laughs> what a brilliant narrative that that gentleman has risen because what he's turned around there is he's turned around and said, really, whether it's a million or not, if the industry, if traditional finance starts to, to get to a point where people are just have no confidence in, in this as an inflationary um, because it's of the inflationary position on the currency, um, and if people are starting to concern themselves about banking and the bank stability and they decide to move some of their assets to Bitcoin, it doesn't take a lot of the populace and the, the banking industry and corporates to move money to Bitcoin to take it to a million dollars. I think that's probably what he's saying there. Um, so certainly if I could be assured there was a million dollars, I I think I'd be selling everything <laughs> I've got at the moment and buying more Bitcoin. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for this week. Um, 
next week, let's come back and start dissecting this net. And let's talk a little bit about um, Ethereum as a security, because I think that's a really valid um, statement and what other tokens really aren't securities and the difference between why. And then also let's talk about why Bitcoin might make this enormous difference um, despite and possibly because of the action the feds are taking um, and the president's reports yeah. taking. No, let's let's dissect that because I think there are two elements. One is I think a lot of this conversation because of centralized exchanges, only because they have to when they list anything that's deemed security. But if we had truly DeFi system, if we had truly peer-to-peer -peer networks, I don't think any of this would be an issue, which is yes. another interesting observation that I think I've been looking at. Uh, so let's spend some time in terms of what does true decentralization mean? How do we achieve that? But also, uh, my assertion of any of these things being securities only in the context of existing definition of securities, only because if we were to tie ourselves and and let's let's double click on this in the next uh, chat, uh, Tarek. I Indeed. think it's important. Good. Have a good weekend, and on behalf of the Bitcoin maximalists, go back on holidays again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should probably go back to India again. Next few few of the banks fail and Bitcoin go up. So I think the Bitcoin maxis uh, owe, me, uh, owe me a few things there. Indeed. Bye for now. <laughs> Take care. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.